Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and we are going to be talking today about gardening in the city, gardening in the suburbs, and all sorts of things. Bailey Van Tassel, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I love that we have connected, and when I look at your account and everything you have online, it's so eclectic. And I think that things that are eclectic and there's a lot of variety make life just seem better. You're always doing all sorts of different things and you're moving through the seasons and you have <laughs> recipes and you're making spaghetti squash and you're harvesting and you're planting and you're putting little pea seeds in water and softening the casing. <laughs> I don't know. It's so many different things, but I'm like, our lives can be really routine and boring. And when I look at your life, I'm like, oh, that life is not routine and boring. That life is really exciting and you're doing it in the suburbs. And so this is going to be such an encouraging episode for everyone listening. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to being a gardener in the city? I know you talked about you grew up on a hobby farm, but you weren't really into it then, but you have sort of come full circle. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny that you say that kind of what you see is really eclectic because I think the gods of Instagram don't love that, but life is nuanced. (laughs) And (laughs) I like to try and show the journey of starting the seeds, growing the things, harvesting and using them. Mm -hmm. And so that is the journey. But I, yeah, I grew up on a hobby farm in, I, I live in Southern California now and I grew up in Northern California. And culturally, those are like two different states. So we were on our little hobby farm in sort of ag country, lots of vineyards, um, apple orchards. My parents were total cowboys, like wranglers, buckles, hats, boots. They were team ropers. And I came out of the womb a ballet dancer. I was like, I will not have dirt on my shoes. I will only wear dresses. I want to go to San Francisco and be a ballet dancer. And my parents were like, um, what? (laughs) (laughs) They'd take me on hikes and I would just be like, I hate this, you know? And then, you know, life happens. I, I grew up, I moved out, I left for college and came down to Southern California. And that's when things started clicking. And I started feeling like the people that have the most character and substance and who I'm just so drawn to are sort of those people that grew up, that helped raise me in the country with, you know, just, I started feeling a lack of like resilience and character. And I was like, God, none of you guys know how to get a truck out of the mud. Like none of you guys know how to change a tire. Like Hmm. I remember in college, someone broke into a house I was living in and I'm like, we're changing all the locks on the doors. I'm going to Home Depot. And they were like, how do you do that? I just started to feel that tug back to my roots, really, just kind of back to a simpler way of living and a different environment. And fast forward, I'm married. I'm living in Orange County, California, which is like, it's really like living in an episode of The Real Housewives of Orange County. Like I'm really seeing them at the grocery store. It's it's crazy. And it and it's it's all Gucci, Prada. These are the priorities and fancy cars. And I'm just like not, I'm like just not in that universe. That's just not what matters to me. And I felt so worried to raise kids in this place. And so my husband and I kept having these disagreements, discussions about (laughs) relocating and his business. He owns a a business here. Um, At the time I did as well, a different business than I do now. And it just didn't make sense to uproot our lives sort of on a whim because I had these country yearnings, you know? 
Right. And so we had this discussion one day and I was like, I just need land to raise our kids. We had an eight month old and I'm like, I want my son to be able to play in the dirt and run in the back and go in the Creek and get lost on the property. Like I did. And I want to have my big garden. And he's like, babe, even if you had that big garden, I don't know if you would really be into gardening. You know, we don't really know if you're going to like that. And I've dabbled in a lot of hobbies, you know, so it was a valid concern. (laughs) We're not going to move for this hobby if some of the other hobbies have not panned out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I marched to Home Depot. I bought like one pot, probably 18 inches by 18 inches that had six veggies pre-planted in it. And I was like, I'm gardening. I'm doing it. It's happening. Someone else has prepared it. (laughs) Someone else has prepared this. I know nothing. I killed everything eventually, except for the tomato plant. Somehow I got two tomatoes off that plant and um, I fell in love. I fell in love with it. And within a couple of months had built two, I had convinced our HOA and we lived in a townhouse with like seven other units, convinced the Mm -hmm. HOA to let me use like this shared lawn space that was dying because of the drought in California into two raised beds and just that wow. kind of started the whole journey. And it really became this thing where I realized how many people in the suburbs, in the cities have never tasted homegrown basil, have never seen somebody grow food. They just were so disconnected from it. And I was so passionate about it. It was really drawing people in. And so that combination was really exciting to me. It still is. Mm-hmm. And that really, I hate to be so dramatic about it, but it totally changed my life. Because now I approach everything from this viewpoint of how do I get myself, my kids, more people out in the garden, focusing on the way that the garden guides us and teaches us with her rhythms and seasons. And it's really about nature at large, but the garden is sort of my, my gateway. Yeah. It is a dramatic change though, because I'm, I'm a little bit like you. I grew up, my grandma was born and raised on a farm and my parents have always had a pretty garden in the backyard in the suburbs. And I was completely uninterested. And then just within the past couple of years, I started growing some things and the amount of joy that it brings, even if your crop doesn't work out, even if you only get two tomatoes, there is something about the amount of joy that comes from a flower seed that gives you a bouquet of flowers four months down the road or whatever that you really can't Mm -hmm. even describe. It changes your life. It's funny. It totally changes your life. And I think we're missing so much. And I know you know this because of your guys' focus, but we're missing so much of that magic, that awe. Variety, the novelty of it. I even think with the planting of flowers, that's my favorite, is that the Mm. bud before it opens, it looks to me, it looks like a little gift package. You know, that sunflower is like wrapped up all the leaves and then it opens up and you don't really know what it's going to look like. Same with the zinnias. It's got this pretty little package and then it opens up and you don't know what color is going to be in there. And so So it just provides this sense of like adult hide and seek. What am I going to find today? And our brains are wired for that. And that's why the phone draws us in because they They have tapped into that need for novelty with that swipe feature. And even I have read that it pauses a teeny bit 
If you swipe down and that circle at the top spins, it's because it's giving you this anticipation. It doesn't have to do that, but it's working with the way your brain is wired and and the things that we want in life, which is variety and something new and something exciting. And so instead of getting it from our phones, we can get it from the garden, even in the city. I was interested in what you said because you said you grew up, you came out the womb as a ballerina. And I think we all have those experiences with our kids where they come how they come. And that's fun too, their personalities and their uniqueness. But even though you grew up a ballerina in a rodeo world, you still gleaned things from that. Like you found lessons later on as an adult. And I think talks about the importance of foundation and our roots and the things that we expose kids to, even if they don't love it. Why do you think that some people can pull a truck out of the mud and some people feel that they can't? Where does that come from? I think there's a couple things. For one is in certain ways, I had to be like the country kid I didn't want to be. And my parents really, and I don't mean this in like a strict and strong and and anti-gentle way, but my parents really required or demanded some resilience out of me. I'm an only child and they really were like, no, you have to do chores. You need to learn how to do this. I don't care if you don't want to, like you kind of like from a skills perspective, they were very much like some things are have to's and not want to's. And then on the other side, and this is where I think it was complimented really well. And I try to remind myself, they really invited me in, in an interesting way to the things that they were interested in. And that's kind of what I try to do with gardening with the kids. I don't, I mean, the kids all have to do chores and pull weeds and whatnot, but like if they want to hang with mom and have it be fun in the garden, that's really my goal. I remember Hmm. with both my dad and my stepdad, really, they always involved me in their projects because I just wanted quality time and they made it really Hmm. fun and really gentle. And I remember re-roofing our house with them and, you know, fixing, changing the oil on my dad's truck with him. And like, it was just kind of, they created space for that. But again, I mean, those are things people did themselves. Like my family did so much themselves. It wasn't like a DIY. It was like, this is how we do life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it was very much like the culture of our family and the people around us too, that I feel like gave me this funny paradigm of, I came out sort of very girly and how I came out, but I was raised in an environment that was much more tough and down to earth and Mm self-reliant. And so that was something I felt like was really important for my kids because we have absolutely every comfort and every convenience at our fingertips. I live within two miles of two Targets, three Starbucks, five grocery stores. Mm -hmm. You could call a handyman, a roofer, a whatever, a plumber, and they could be there at the drop of a hat, you know? So I just don't think that that builds in us our souls really need to thrive. And especially with a son, I feel like, and this might be controversial, young men really need that sense of strong responsibility Mm-hmm. and ownership to thrive. I think biologically within each of us there, and it, women have that desire too, but I think we also have other I desires read, to fulfill, well, not to I take this in right. that direction. Well, I had read one time that for a man, their like soul question is, can I conquer? You know, and a woman's soul question, and obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but the women's like soul deep down question was, am I noticed? 
And, and it was like mm. this whole thing about the Disney movies, right? Which is like, it's oh, always wow. two guys trying to conquer and get the girl. You know, it's the Beast and Gaston. It's literally every movie. And then the girl is like, mm-hmm. am I noticed? You know, so oh my goodness. I think it, there is something to be said about young men. And we have a 14-year-old and trying to do hard work and to conquer and, and those types of things. And so by giving them opportunity to do that, I think it's probably more fulfilling for their life. And you said a really interesting thing, Bailey. You said, I really wanted quality time. And then you talked about your dad and your stepdad. And you said, they let me change the oil, you know, and it's like, it's not about taking them out on a date or those things are fun too. And that's what people talk a lot about now, or you take your kid out Mm -hmm. for some one-on-one time, you take them to go get an ice cream cone, but they were just doing the things that they already had to do. And then they just included you. And probably at some age, you were a legitimate help. But then that meant a lot to you. So they were going about just doing their everyday, everyday and said, hey, you can join in. And that meant something to you. And I think that's a really hopeful message that we can draw our kids into what we're already doing. And that will mean something to them. For sure. And I think that our degree of like passion and interest in pursuing those things, like those were really things that they loved. And my mom, so my stepdad's with my mom and then my dad was a single dad for a really long time, but they were just really, they pursued their interests and did invite me in and try to help me just be alongside them. And even if I wasn't, you know, super stoked. And so that's where I think that those qualities and like that, Mm -hmm. I know things were kind of just buried in there because it wasn't forced. It wasn't pushed. They weren't like, you'll be a rodeo queen. I think they would have loved that, but (laughs) they kind of just let me do my thing. And I mean, my mom really, she invested a lot in allowing me to explore my interests and be really Mm -hmm. fearless about pursuing things, especially since I felt really different. I wanted to take art classes and wanted to do things that Mm -hmm. were so different. And she was like, okay, let's go, let's do it. And I look back on that now and think about my mom really made so many sacrifices because she, you know, single, they were respectively single parents for a very long time, making singular decisions kind of together and whatever, lots of driving and this and that. And I just had no idea. So when you have your own kids, you're like, oh my God, Bob, (laughs) the expense of my hobbies and interests and time and all of it is so crazy, but it's definitely something. And I think it to kind of backtrack on what I was saying, cause I, I didn't mean to make it sound like boys do some things and girls do others. Like I was, I was doing all kinds of rough and tumble stuff. Mm-hmm. And I want that for my kids too. It's just, I just want them to feel like they're such, they're a big part of my passion and they're allowed mm-hmm. to be there. And yeah, they're just, and I do want them to feel resourceful and helpful and like they can do yeah anything. So we, I really invite them in a lot, you know, into the kitchen, into doing laundry. Mm-hmm. I had this moment with my daughter. I have to brag about, I taught her how to fold. She just took an interest in folding laundry, <laughs> like mom. Well, that's and amazing. So she, I, I know she, well, and that's kind of the thing where you notice like your demeanor about things will set the tone. Mm-hmm. And so she really loves to fold like, you know, the hand, the dish towels and pillowcases. Those are like the easiest. She's how three. Old is she? Oh, I love it. I know. And she's great. She's very good. She's very good at folding. And so I have two days a week where she's not in preschool and I'm just home with her by design. I wanted that time. And she's like, mom, I really love you. And I really love doing laundry with you. And I was like, oh my God, never forget it. But it just makes you think about things in a different way. Like you're just inviting them in to be 
a helper and it's definitely not as efficient. Not and can as you imagine as a parent, it's actually almost ironic as a parent, you're doing all these things for your kids, like you're talking about. And my parents did so many things for us too, <laughs> taking us to music lessons and all of these different activities. Mm-hmm. And then you become an adult and you're like, they let me change the oil with them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. They let me fold the pillowcases. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to come on a podcast in 20 years and be like, I love my mom because she let me fold towels. When she was doing the laundry. God, I hope so. You know, we don't really realize that the small things are such a big deal to them. And it just helped them feel loved and included. And gardening is, I think, a pretty easy way to draw kids in. And they feed off that excitement. And there's a lot of things for them to do. I like what you talked about how you grew up feeling different. And then now you live in the city and you're a gardener and you feel different. So can you talk about that? There was a lot of pressure to not garden because... No one else, literally no one else is doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny. I never made that parallel um, until you just said that. But yeah, so I guess it's funny. I was telling my husband this too. I really, I'm not very risk averse. And I think it ties back to that where it's like, Mm -hmm. it's also, I don't know if you've done any like Enneagram work, but it's just my wiring. Like Mm I just don't mind being different and have sort of a creative brain. But yeah, I mean, I definitely felt kind of gardening was like an old lady someday thing. But I had a lot of examples in my youth of women who had gardens, you know, in their 20s and 30s and like raising their Mm -hmm. kids and stuff. So that was much more normal in my hometown, like where I grew up than it was down here. And I just had such a great example of that. And so it was kind of one of those things, like when I grow up, I want this to be a part of my life. And I I obviously realized around 30, I was like, I think I'm grown. (laughs) I mean, not most days. I feel like I'm still 16, but yeah. So I did feel a little shy and like people were going to judge me about it. Like it's just, it's not cool to be crunchy in Orange County. And when I was growing up, it was, it was like the cool hippies were cool and people that were like living off the land was cool. And that's not cool mm-hmm. here. So that's just still, weird. Still and, not cool. um, is yeah. it still that way or is it changing um, a little bit or not at all? I feel like it's changing for sure. Either it's changing or I've just found my people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a big key is a big part of like loving where you live. If you're like, if you wish you were on three acres of the Creek in the back in Tennessee, mm-hmm. like maybe I do, you got to find your people in your places mm-hmm. that help you normalize you know, what you like. And so, but I, it really jogged so many people's curiosity. And I think now people I never would have expected are like, so I have a raised bed, I have a little herb garden, or I want to start something. And I think it really, I do feel very called to share at my Mm -hmm. stage in life and my location, because I think a lot of people have that yearning. I mean, gardening became very cool in 2020, which was a gift. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think at first I was a little bit embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. what is Bailey doing? You know, my poor husband and like his friends and stuff were like, oh, what's this gardening thing you're sharing about on it? I used to share on like my, just a personal account. Mm-hmm. And wow. um, once things started picking up steam, everyone's like, oh, this is really crazy. This is really cool. And mm-hmm. I really am so obsessed with learning about gardening and talking. Like, <laughs> I really love it that too, much. <laughs> when I, I first started posting, because we're like trying to get outside for a certain amount of time. And I've actually been doing it for almost, I've been writing about it for almost a decade. And it was the same thing wow. at the beginning, especially our friends. They were like, what are you doing? 
you're paying attention to how much time you're getting outside. You're trying to get out for three hours. You know, that's such an outlandish amount of time. And then same as you, once it started to pick up steam, then people were like, oh, oh, maybe there's something to that. In fact, someone said to me one time, I wish I would have thought of that. And I was like, well, it was just the way that we were living. But also, Mm. no, you don't. Because for three or four years, people were like, you're strange. (laughs) (laughs) But if there's something to it, if it has changed your life, truly changed your life, outdoor time has truly changed our life, gardening has truly changed your life, you found a way to do it in a small space, well, then you continue to share because it's just your life and other people are able to grab onto those pieces that are so meaningful to you and insert them into their lives. And that's where the growth comes from over time. So I think that's super encouraging. You're just living a way that brings you joy and answers problems that you have. I don't even know if problems is the right word, but yearnings that you had in the space that you're in and you're sharing it with other people. So can you tell us how do you garden in a small space? What is your setup like and what are you dreaming of next in your garden? Yeah. Okay. So great questions. Um, Small space gardening, I mean, really is about obviously maximizing. And for that, I think a lot about, so I think about my garden, like planting in a small space in three ways. One is go vertical. So trellises, whether that's just like, I remember when I was like first getting started helping someone design literally like a two foot by four foot garden bed, just like a little guy. Mm -hmm. And we put just like a lattice like a piece of lattice in the back to allow for climbing. So it doesn't have to be complicated, but going vertical is super important. And And then also- It's so so pretty to see the things climb. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. 
Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. It's like they got that little curly thing at the end, then it uncurls and it climbs in it. It's just miraculous. It's the coolest thing. It is. And I know I think any like vining, trailing, climbing plants are so pretty. And speaking of more vining, trailing, then you want to think about the edges and the corners. And that's where I'll put anything that will like hang over because some things like a cucumber wants to climb, but they'll easily just like hang and trail over. So, Mm -hmm. and that's also, I think, really beautiful and can be space saving, helps just get the veggies out of the bed and just going out onto the ground. And then I do a lot of companion and sort of like interplanting, which are two different things. Companion planting is making sure they don't steal from the soil, like trying to take competing nutrients. You know, you want things together that are kind of going to give and take, which just is a little bit of research and instinct and trial and error. And then interplanting would be like this year I planted spinach underneath my tomato plants. Right now I have peas that are going underneath my spaghetti squash. So you're really trying to maximize because the roots aren't taking up that much space and you can find things that are really shallow rooted to plant right underneath something with like a long tap root. So they're actually using the same singular square foot, but different parts of the soil. Wow. And so that's something, and that was a little, maybe a little bit less entry-level gardening. Like once I started doing that in the past like year, two years probably, where I was like, I'm I'm like, now I'm thinking sort of three-dimensional instead of two, Mm -hmm. I guess. And that really helps as well. So it's really, I mean, you just have to get the right amount of sun. And that's really hard for like balcony gardeners like that are in a true city or apartment. But for that, I challenge you to find a community garden. A lot of city spaces allow people to garden in like really like on rooftops and really get creative. I was so and in love with gardening. I remember when we, at one point we had relocated, we had moved to the city we live now and there was a restaurant that was building a garden like on the side of the wall of a restaurant. And I was like, I would be that person that would like go to a restaurant owner and be like, do you want me to build and maintain a garden for you? Like I just wanted to do it. So, you know, get creative and allow the curiosity, I think mm-hmm. would be my encouragement and just like you know, figure it out. But I still, I have, I don't have a tiny garden now. I have 10 raised beds, which is a little ridiculous. My poor husband, we we, we don't get to have a swimming pool because mom has her <laughs> raised beds, but it's really in say about 600 to 800 square feet of space. It's pretty tight, mm-hmm. but it's still, I mean, our home is on less than a quarter of an acre. So it's probably a 10,000 square foot lot. Mm-hmm. And so we're just utilizing a, a big chunk of it for the gardening. And still I have things in pots that I like mm-hmm. to do as well. So one of my favorite combos would be like rainbow charred strawberries and pansies in one pot. Um, which are actually fall, all fall veg. Depending on where you live, you can grow strawberries in the fall. And so those are things I think we underestimate is like how much can fit in a pot, like just, Mm -hmm. you know, just a guy you can carry home yourself. And And that's what you sort of started out with, which was a pot 
that had some different things in it. And I think we also underestimate how much joy and satisfaction we can get out of one pot. Like when you said you were helping someone design a two by four raised bed, a little plot, Mm -hmm. eight square feet. It's like, I think sometimes we don't do it because we think it's not enough. It's not big enough. Mm-hmm. We can't do everything that we want to do. Not yeah. realizing that one small pot is going to add a lot of fulfillment to your life. Somehow, some way, eight square feet is going to add a lot of fulfillment to your life. It's going to give you a reason to get up in the morning. You're going to go out to check on it. It's going to help your bodily rhythms. Even that, I had a neighbor yeah, years t- ago. Totally. We were in a place where she wasn't supposed to have chickens, but then she got chickens. And so she was always trying to like keep them quiet and she'd like put them in the way back of her yard. You know, it was one of those situations where as a neighbor, you're like, that's kind of odd, you know? And so then she had to go out of town for a couple of days. So she asked us, you know, can we come let them out in the morning? Can we help out with the chickens? And she said that one of the things she loved and we're in Michigan, so it gets real cold here in the winter, mm. was that it forced her every day, she had to get up and get outside in the morning to take care of her animals. And I think the same is true with gardening. It's one of those things that, especially if you're in the doldrums, you're kind of in a dark spot, you're not feeling very well, it it gets you out of it because you have to get up, you have to go care for your plants, and it helps with your rhythms. So even if it's just one pot, it's going to do the same thing, whether it's a four acres or it's one pot with four things in it, it just does the same thing by giving you some amazing things for your life. Well, and to go back to like, I remember one time I like surveyed my audience on Instagram, which sounds so silly, but kind of asking about why they garden and this and that. And the, the overwhelming response was, I love the magic of watching things grow. And that's what we were talking about earlier is like planting the seeds, seeing the bud, revealing the prize that's inside and seeing it. That really captures us. And I think that's part of what draws us in and creates that rhythm. But I also loved that feeling. I, I just feel really passionate about this sort of concept of like putting the big rocks in first figuring out what your priorities are and like Hmm. really making sure those go in first. And then you can put in the little, like the smaller stones and then you can dump in the sand of the extras and living in a place like the city or the suburbs where my values may not match like the collectives. It was so important for me to be like, for me and my kids, like, this is what we're going to do first. We're going to get up and check the garden. We're going to be responsible for something else other than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we're going to engage in something that pushes us to think critically. And like, I fail a lot in the garden Mm -hmm. and in the kitchen and got to overcome that. And, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it is, it's drawing me outside and it's retrained my brain when I'm, when I, like you said, in the doldrums, I mean, we don't really get winter here, but like, you know, we all just get into those mm-hmm. funks. Yeah. I've trained myself to go outside, go in the garden, mm-hmm. take a breath, check things out. And that always turns things around. It yeah. always re-energizes me. And so, yeah, it's just, I mean, the garden gives and gives like all the life yeah. analogies, all the good yeah. things. It's, it's so yeah. important. I mean, and you said at the beginning, not to be over dramatic, but it does give you something else to live for. Obviously there's a lot of amazing things to live for, but then this is an extra thing, which is that you yeah. have this sense of awe built into the year. And, and another misconception that I had, because I am really new to it in my life was that I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do all this work and in August we'll get a harvest and then that's it. But what I learned mm-hmm. was even in a place where it's a different hardiness zone, we're in, I think, 6B zone, 6B or 6A. Okay. 
And what are you in 10, 10 B? So we're in completely different parts of the world. And well, what I learned is it actually gives year round because it's like, well, you're planting seeds and you're starting seedlings in March and then you're transferring to the ground in May. This is how it works here in Michigan. And then Mm -hmm. everything's growing a little bit. Some things bloom early, some things bloom later, and then they bloom here all the way through October. So right there, we're already six months and then you're dealing with your harvest and then and you're putting it to bed and then you're dreaming for the next year already. You're planning out. So it's not a thing that only lasts two months or three months. It lasts the whole year, which is something I didn't realize either, even in a place where for six months out of the year, four months, there's snow. And well, you can plant a ton of bulbs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so many different things that you can do. And so it's one of those hobbies that can fulfill you for a lifetime. It's not just for one season of the year. It's for many seasons. I would love to just know, and I think a lot of our listeners would too, just about what you have in your garden right now. What are some of your favorite things to plant? Uh, what does it look like back there with your 10? You said 10 raised beds <laughs> yes. plus pot. Yeah. Oh man. So fall is definitely my favorite season to garden here because it's kind of like a normal spring. And then our normal spring is kind of more like a summer. And anyways, so I love the autumn. So I've got a ton of arugula, chard, lettuce, all the edible flowers I can possibly mm-hmm. grow. We're still hanging on to some borage, but I have calendula, uh, pansies, violas, Johnny jump ups. Just put in some bachelor's buttons, but those won't go till spring. We have onions and potatoes going in this week. I've got peas, garlic, and then all the brassicas. So broccoli, cauliflower, kale, some Romanesco. This year, I dedicated a lot of space to broccoli because we eat so much of it. And I would love to be able to freeze our broccoli instead of buy broccoli from the store. So I try to replace like one crop at a time and see how, see if I can. So at this point, like I never buy squash. I never really buy lettuce or greens. I don't buy herbs. I don't really buy like chives or green onions. Those I can kind of grow all year. So now we're working on sort of the brassicas, trying to figure out my unique amount that I need to grow, Mm -hmm. how much space to dedicate to it, and then which plants you have to sacrifice. Because you're like, okay, I don't need to grow kohlrabi. That's not a super common vegetable to eat. But, you know, I'm excited about it just because I'm like, could Mm -hmm. I grow it? What does it look like? How does it taste? So we've got all that stuff going. And then um, just this year, we planted some citrus and some stone fruit, kind of a long-term play. So I think that's pretty much what I have. We're just pulling out, yeah, all that spaghetti squash. This was my first year starting spaghetti squash from seed and then growing it all the way through. And it just inspires you to eat differently when you're like, I have to eat this. I grew this like since it was a baby. Yeah. (laughs) And it does taste better. I had watched this this documentary called, I think it's called Back to Eden or something Mm -hmm. like that. And they use um, wood chips and the wood chips, Mm -hmm. uh, like a ground covering basically. And the premise was that the wood chips keep moisture in the soil and certain nutrients. And I don't totally remember all the science behind it, but then everything has more water. And the guy was saying that everything just tastes better for various reasons. And it tastes different than uh, something that you would get in the grocery store that's traveled in a truck and maybe was picked not at the prime time and is ripening along the way or that type of thing. So you are using your garden to replace the grocery store, which I think is timely because a lot of people 
are talking about food security and food insecurity. So that's yeah. amazing. I've never gotten broccoli to grow. So you're able to do that and freeze it. You have learned a whole lot. Oh um, yeah, for sure. I, this is majority self-taught, like just. Yeah. Uh, how many years, you. how many years until you've gotten to this point about? Five. Oh, well, that's not actually that much. I would have yeah, thought longer. Technically four, technically four, I guess. And so it's really, and this is why, so professionally, I have a gardening club called the Kitchen Garden mm-hmm. Society and it's nationwide. And what I realized when I was learning and doing tons of research was that not all hardiness zones are created equal. Everyone has different growing conditions and different microclimates. And so many gardening books are designed for the middle of the country, like the Midwest, where there was so much more growing happening. And and if someone's going to write sort of just like a universal gardening book, it's really designed around four distinct seasons and like a really Mm -hmm. traditional frost schedule. And we don't get a frost. So I was like, this doesn't work for me. So I started realizing all of these U.S. hardiness zones really have their own rhythm. And that's why I wanted to kind of start this gardening club where it was like, if people are going to come in and be excited to learn to garden, I want them to be successful in where they are. Mm -hmm. So um, that really inspired it. And then I started really researching how each zone's I mean, we can all, it's just based on temperature, like mm-hmm. the weather, basically. So a lot of us, like, every, you know, all of us can grow onions. It just depends on when we plant them yeah. and what conditions and kind of what our soil looks like too. That's a little bit of a variation. But yeah, so uh, I just, I was so in love with the learning process and it felt very much like a space where I could, this is not an us thing. This is like Bailey gets to be creative and just like do her thing. And for me, a part of that process, I really liked to learn something like in, intuitively and instinctively. I want to know it. So you yeah. have to just get out and experiment. I mean, I love to read and I'm like, I could be in school forever learning, but getting out there and just trial and erroring it is the way to go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's been... A, quick learning curve, but that doesn't replace, you know, decades of experience in your garden. So mm-hmm. the first year in any gardens can be super challenging because you're getting to know the soil, you're getting to know your weather patterns. We've got weird pockets that hold a lot of heat or that get fog and humidity and just weird stuff that you really have to get to know in your own space. But I just got so absorbed in reading about it and mm-hmm. testing it and trying it. And like you were saying, our, our brains are wired for some novelty and mm-hmm. anticipation a little bit. And so mm-hmm. the garden really created so much of that. Yeah. And I actually read me. that learning new things helps release dopamine. So that's mm. another thing too, that there's a lot of feel good things going on out there because you're learning all the time in your garden. There's always opportunity oh, yeah. to learn. I had read a bunch of gardening books before I started and they did not help because I just didn't really get it. And it didn't Mm. change into, it changed when I actually went out and did it. But the gardening books that actually entice me out are by Sharon Lovejoy. Have you ever read any of her books? I don't think so. Sorry, I'm going to look it up while we're talking. So she has, she's a grandma and she has a lot of books, but the one that really drew me in is called Roots, Shoots, Buckets, and Boots. And it's a gardening with children book. And okay, I have this book. I'm sorry, Sharon, that I didn't recognize book. your name. It's such an adorable I should have said the name of the book, not the author. But she has a cute name. That's why I said her name. Sharon yeah. Lovejoy. I'm like, that is really her name. What a perfect name for a gardener. But um, that enticed me to try it. 
because she yeah. had really cool ideas in there, like a like a moon garden and a garden yeah. of giants and a pizza garden and a sunflower house, all of these things. And she gives the instructions, but it wasn't a technical book. It was a, like a dreaming book. Like, oh, I want my life to have these elements in it. And yes. so that got me out the door to actually try it. Our sunflower house has never worked. We've tried for three years in a row, but it has still grown some sunflowers. And then finches have, you know, lived in there. And can you, all of these can things you grow happen. peas or beans where you use like bamboo, like maybe 10, 10 foot bamboo poles, and then you plant tons of peas all the way around and they'll climb and make like a PTP. And then you're sitting in there crunching on your peas. So fun. We were at, a, I mean, um, a sunflower house would be really epic because you love well, flowers. So with but. the sunflower house, her idea, and it hasn't ever worked because I've not made it the right size and different things. One year it got mowed over, but the idea is that, <laughs> well, and you talked at the beginning about trellising. So it, you would grow the sunflowers in the shape of a little square or a circle with a little opening and then you would, once they're at the top, you would put twine across mm-hmm. the top and you would have morning glories growing up mm. and over the top. I mean, so you'd have a roof. That's Stunning. A cool idea. I, yeah. And the teepees are fun. Morning glories, you'd have to like burn out of your garden though, because they will <laughs> right, never leave right. once you plant yeah. them. But yeah. I like, I think her approach and it's, I totally sort of mimic that in my own life is so brilliant because that is what excites people. You want people to see like if the science isn't clicking for you or if they're like, if you, for me, I like, I really liked vegetable gardening in the beginning because it felt very high ROI. Like Mm -hmm. there's this big return on my investment. I'm getting a lot more into flowers now, but it is that sort of, how can this be interesting and playful and Mm -hmm. fun that Mm -hmm. draws a lot of people out? I love that. I'm excited. And then you learn. That's where I learned. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust 
to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. I didn't understand. I didn't even really understand the terminology. Like I remember reading mm-hmm. about um, what, what are some of the different words? Like how long is it going to take before it germination? germination. I mean, all those words. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't know why I, it was like I had a veil and then I didn't get it until I did it and didn't even understand like six weeks before a frost and you plant this indoors and all of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then you once I did like it, dream. then it made sense. Well, I have this beginning gardeners download for the Kitchen Garden Society people can get for free. And Mm -hmm. it has a glossary of terms because I was the same way. I was like, what's hardening off? Like, yeah. And even like direct sowing versus transplanting, it just feels complicated. Like there's just Mm -hmm. a whole, there's jargon, you know, this industry specific language people are speaking in. And Um, I didn't get it. I know. Yeah. I'm so glad that you stuck with it. And like, I love that you found a way. Yeah. So tell us uh, more about the Kitchen Garden Society. Yes. Um, so I it love is the name. My, thank you. I really grapple the BVT, the Bailey Van Tassel Gardening Club. And I'd send people out like this PDF that I made each month telling them basically, and it's, it's a similar format, but now it's like a professional website and you can access it mm-hmm. anytime. Beautiful. Um, but it is, it's a membership, it's monthly. And no matter your hardiness zone, we break it down into zones for you. You get your monthly to-dos. So what to harvest, transplant, sow, tend wow. to, and task. So it'll be like, you know, some months, if you're zone three, which is like really Northern super, you know, they only get three to four months to garden. They don't have Mm -hmm. as much to be sowing, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of tasks that they can be doing around the garden. And there's a lot to do if you've got like bare root fruit trees or shrubs and whatnot. So we walk you through everything in your zone that you should be doing for the month to kind of keep you on track, take you outside, like keep you going. Mm -hmm. Then we have, um, I put together this calendar. So every single day of the month, you've got daily inspiration for seasonal living, I like to call it. So I'll have ideas for family crafts, activities, recipes to cook, ways to celebrate different traditions with foods or little, I get a little woo-woo sometimes, little like ceremonies, you know, we'll do like, you know, a solstice bonfire or something, Mm -hmm. just a way to incorporate nature into your everyday life that flows as a mix between like the seasons and our modern traditions. We've got the daily inspiration and then we have seasonal recipes using usually highlights one like very seasonal ingredient. Mm -hmm. So last month was pumpkin. This month we're really diving. Well, this month is a little bit unique. We have experts every single month that come in and teach us something like at an expert level. So this month it's uh, a girlfriend of mine who's a plant-based homesteader She's giving us like this major how to eat seasonally, why. So she's given us tons of recipes, but um, I'm sort of highlighting the chestnut as like an ingredient to get it into this month, just to try new and different things. And then we've got Did you talk about that on your the podcast, experts. the chestnut? Yeah, I, I did. I did. Okay. That's where it was. <laughs> so if people are interested in the Kitchen Garden Society, where can they find that? thekitchengardensociety.com. Well, you made it easy, Bailey. That is easy. But then you also have your website, baileyvantassel.com, where you had a lot of amazing yes. blog posts. I saw about how to deal with cold and flu season, 
different teas. So there was a lot of things there as well. And you have a podcast, the Garden Culture Podcast, where you talked yes. about chestnuts recently. Yes. Tell, yes. Us about so, your uh, Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. The podcast is so fun. I have become a total podcast lover. It is another one of those things where like, I no longer care about doing any like chores or long drives. It's like podcast time. But um, the Garden Culture Podcast is a mix of like celebrating the seasons and gardening. So I have each month I introduce the month, like you heard me talk about the month of November and mm-hmm. I shared a story about chestnuts and why I love them. I had this dish in Israel that included this chestnut sauce that I will never forget. And so it really inspired me to think more about chestnuts, which you can buy at the store because we cannot forage for them. But I walk you through each month at the beginning of the month, like how to celebrate the month and the seasons, which is sort of similar to what I do in Kitchen Garden Society. But then the other half of the podcast, I'm either teaching a little bit of gardening and I'm interviewing people who garden and they're not necessarily professional horticulturists by any means. They're just people that have folded gardening into their lives and Mm -hmm. how they do it. So we just had, I just interviewed my favorite She's kind of a famous interior designer who also loves to garden and has shared about that. And so that's the angle that that I take is is tell us about tell us about your life and then how that'll be out next Thursday. Okay, I think it's fun when someone has a podcast and if you're just getting into it, I always like to know like which episode should I start with. And yeah. people have, they have a hard time because they say, well, I can't pick a favorite one. And I get that because you really can't. They're all good. I, yeah. I think it's nice to have a starting spot for a podcast. Yeah. One that's so really good. I'll mention. So I want to listen to the one next week. That sounds yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So you just have to, you have to just subscribe and get next week's mm-hmm. just yes. dropped into Subscribing your podcast. Subscribing is important. <laughs> we, can, we can pop that in here. Subscribing is important. It helps it with a lot of things. So, um, but if yeah, you want to get started binging now, there are the three interviews I recommend based on your interests. One, I have um, Le- Leah Larabelle um, talking all about herbalism in a really approachable way. And she's just a genius. I love her. And then I have Becky Cole, who similarly, she kind of does home herbalism, but she she's um, a farmer in Ireland. And she talks a lot about slow living. And she's just Mm. so lovely and charming. I just love her. And then I interviewed uh, my girlfriend, Misha, who moved from the city to a farm in Oregon. And so she's got a really interesting life story. Very, very like city to country. First timer talks about that whole process and why she did that for her family. Yeah, that's a really cool one. So those those are are great. Yeah. So it's, it's called the Garden Culture Podcast, and you have the Kitchen Garden Society. So lots of things. And actually, and people go to your website, there's a lot here. I mean, we're, we've run out of time. So I had all these questions about tea garden and edible landscape and raised beds and butterboards and harvesting. What did you harvest today? And how do you revitalize old potting soil? And what's the secret to potted arrangements? And what are you starting from seed? And what did you buy from the nursery? I mean, I, oh my gosh, <laughs> so people so are going to be able to go and find all of the information from your different sites. And they're going to be able to kind of dive down that rabbit hole. I, I'm going to yes. end with, well, I have a question we always end the podcast with, but I'm going to do one before that. Okay. Talk about, I liked, I want to know about Aunt Pammy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My Auntie Pammy is my godmother. And she, since I was six weeks old has been in my life. And she is the first person I saw who had always had this big garden. 
And so she was really the person that planted that seed and was like, I want I just wanted to be like Auntie Pammy. And so that meant I had to have a big garden like Auntie Pammy. And she did take me out there when I was little and she was always cooking and canning and preserving. And again, just so self-reliant and dynamic and confident and just in gardened. Like I just wanted to be her. So I had to have a garden to be like Auntie Pammy. And when I started gardening, she was one of the first phone calls I made. And then this year I actually went back to my hometown and got to visit her and spend time with her in her garden, which I really hadn't gotten to do in probably 25 years. So, wow. so yeah, she's and just a very- interesting. It's another benefit that you never know. You never know decades down the road who maybe will have come over for a play date, who will have swung by for dinner and been like, you know what? When I'm an adult, I want to be like Bailey Van Tassel. You know, I want to have oh some potted plants or, or so we're really, I think, affecting children in ways that we maybe won't ever know and planting seeds for them just about ways to live. And that's a good analogy. It's like planting seeds in so many ways uh, just by having a garden. And it can be in a city. It can be in a townhome. We used to live in a townhome too. We had two little patio areas. And so I think that's amazing that you went to the HOA and asked because we had open space too that was just grass. So it could have been, it was like a boulevard. So there could have been different raised beds all down the center. So I like your approach. My mom always says the worst someone can say is no. And I think Mm -hmm. about that all the time. You have that approach. Like I'll go ask the restaurant owner, can I tend your garden and all of these different things. So I'll ask anybody, anything. (laughs) A good (laughs) approach to life. Um, We always end our podcast, Bailey, with a favorite memory from yours from childhood. Uh, And I know you were a ballerina, so this is going to be a little tricky, but it has to be an outdoor memory from your childhood. Okay. Um, Oh my gosh. I should have prepared my answer. I'll have to think. Well, okay. So something that we did every year that I love, and this comes to mind, maybe this seasonality, because I was, I was outside a lot. I think I definitely got a thousand hours outside, which is also, I think, unlocked something in me where I was like, my children need nature. My mom and I would cut down our own Christmas trees every year at a local farm. And it was me and her, just always us two. And some reason, every time it would rain, it was always a rainy day, the day we had time to go cut down our Christmas tree. And we loved that. So we would get decked out in our rain gear and our boots head to toe, grab a saw, we'd cut down our Christmas tree and then get hot apple cider afterwards. But it brings me back to one more memory I have to share that is different. At the time, I think I didn't love it. But looking back, it's a favorite memory, which is so interesting. So at one point we lived like way out in the boonies in an area called Freestone, which is near Bodega Bay. This is deep Northern California. And we lived on like 750 acres. It was in this tiny wood house and it had a well water system. And I remember that we used to have to hike up to like where the water line would connect somewhere to some pump. I mean, I don't even remember now, but I was the only one who had like nimble enough fingers to dislodge anything from the water line and re-engage it to the pump. And we used to have to go out and I remember I'd always have to be in like my step, like my stepdad or my mom's rain boots. And so they're like way too big. So you're wearing giant rain boots slogging because I was 
not into rain boots. That was not cool. <laughs> so I'm wearing my parents' rain boots, slogging through the mud. I'm, we're walking like an, you know, a mile to get to this water pump. And I remember there were always salamanders stuck in this. I don't even know. It was just always this like muddy, chaotic situation, but it was like, I got to save the day (laughs) and I love, I like secretly loved it because you're just so in the elements doing something helpful and resourceful. Actually, my memory is that house. You you are the one that's needed. Totally. And as a young person, and that was, I must've been, that was adolescence, like probably nine, 10, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I remember having to like, and I was so prissy, like, ooh, like pull this salamander out of the water line and re-engage it. And you're soaking wet and you're just muddy. But like, I think it built in some of that satisfaction then of coming into comfort from the outdoors too, mm-hmm. but always feeling so, I was, mm-hmm. I was unafraid of the outdoors as much as I didn't like it. I was unafraid of it. And it was, now I crave that. I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could go for like a hike in the pouring rain and have to like fix something for someone. <laughs> <laughs> what a statement. Like, did you ever oh, think man. you would say that? I wish no. I could hike in the pouring rain oh and fix something for someone. But it made you a valuable part of the family. So valuable. Yeah. That's a really beautiful story. I think I think people will get a lot out of that. And your point about comfort, I just talked to Linda McGurk. She's got she's like rain or shine mama. She's got this really cool book called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And then she just Mm. came out with a new one called The Open Air Life. It came out actually this week. And one of the things she talked about is you can't have quite as much joy if you don't have this basically dichotomy between Mm -hmm. discomfort and comfort. That part of the whole thing is being uncomfortable. It's like we've, you talked about at the beginning, like we become this society. And I just read this book called The Comfort Crisis. We've become a society that's so comfortable. Well, then we're missing the ends of that spectrum. So it's like if you go out and it's rainy and it's muddy and you get the salamander, well, there's something to be said about when you go back inside and how good that feels. And you don't get that good feeling if you don't have the rainy, muddy part. And so it's just something to think about, you know, that embracing discomfort does more for us than we probably realize uh, this has been awesome, Bailey. I have gotten oh my so gosh. much I could out talk of it to you for hours. I hours. love your perspective on life, like how the things that you glean from conversations and just the knowledge you have. I mm. love. I want to like talk to you for ten hours. Ten hours. Well, let's do it again. You have this quote. I want to end with it. I grabbed it somewhere, maybe from your website. I should have made notes. Mm. It says the good things in life rarely come easy. I like it that way because with ease can come complacency and idleness. You say, I live in the absolute non-country. I love that wording. Gardening is not cool here. It's not normal and also not easy because there's such little access to things like good compost. But that is why I feel called to share about it so that more people in the middle of the suburbs or city think, hey, maybe that will be something I like and then make the effort to begin. Wow, Bailey. It's so meaningful. So Bailey Van Tassel, you. you can find her at baileyvantassel.com, thekitchengardensociety.com, and at the Garden Culture Podcast. Thanks for spending this time with us. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.